Section 9 of Hildebrand and His Times by William Richard Ward Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6 Relations of Germany to the Papacy during the Minority of Henry IV, 1056 to 66. Whilst Hildebrand had been steadily building up the papacy into a strong central power, the german kingdom had been weakened by internal strife it would have been scarcely possible for any woman however able successfully to govern so large a territory parcelled out among feudal lords of various ranks dukes counts margraves all jealous of each other and perpetually quarrelling for precedence but the empress mother was unfitted by her character as well as her sex for such a task she was religious and well-intentioned but weak of will the court was beset with intrigues and the empress hearkened first to one counsellor and then to another womanlike she had her favourites who on account of this influence were the objects both of flattery and detestation nothing it was said could be obtained at court except through gold or favour the increasing opulence and power of the bishops had excited the envy of the lay nobles and they thought that the weak regency was an opportunity for humbling them the high-born and ambitious adalbert archbishop of bremen was one of the most distinguished prelates and most devoted to the royal family his episcopal lands were constantly harried by ordulf duke of saxony who heeded neither the excommunications of the primate nor the commands of the empress the best means of escape which adalbert could devise was to invest Hermann, the brother of Ordulf, with a large portion of episcopal territory on condition of his acting as a guardian of the sea. Anno of Kuhn, not high-born but not less ambitious, was involved in similar strife with the Palgrave Henry, but succeeded in defeating him. The Palgrave died mad, and his son was made a vassal of the sea the prelate who had by far the greatest influence with the empress was henry bishop of augsburg and he consequently incurred peculiar hatred base slanders respecting their intimacy were circulated which however groundless served the turn of the malicious in short the envy and discontent of the nobles constantly increased they rarely attended court frequently held secret meetings and fomented disaffection amongst the people the chief leaders of the malcontents were archbishop anno otto of nordheim who had been recently made duke of bavaria and count ecbert of brunswick a kinsman of the king at last a plot was formed by these three for getting henry now twelve years old out of his mother's power and taking the administration of the kingdom into their own hands the empress and her son spent the beginning of the year 1062 at Goslar in Saxony, accompanied by the obnoxious bishop of Augsburg. In March they moved to Paderborn. Easter Day, March 31st, was spent at Utrecht. After the festival, they went with a small retinue to a palace at St. Zutbert's on the Rhine, a place now called Kaiserswert, situated between Duisburg and Dusseldorf it was then an island but by an alteration in the course of the stream it has been joined to the right bank of the river one day in the month of may ten sixty two 
the three conspirators appeared with a numerous company as if to pay a friendly visit they were received without suspicion and hospitably entertained after dinner the archbishop persuaded the young king to go and see his barge which was sumptuously fitted up but no sooner was the child on board than the crew pushed off and rowed with all their might up the stream the terrified boy flung himself overboard but the count ekbert plunged in after him and rescued him after great exertions at the peril of his own life the child was soothed with kind words and the barge proceeded to Köln, but an indignant crowd followed it along the shore and poured forth execrations on the perpetrators of a deed so treacherous treasonable and cruel the empress passionately bewailed the loss of her son but took no steps to recover him and after a time was publicly reconciled to anno she was indeed well content to be relieved from the burden of government which he was ill-fitted to bear and longed to retire into a monastery a wish which she not long afterwards gratified there is no evidence that duke godfrey was directly concerned in the plot for the abduction of the king yet the conspirators could hardly have ventured upon the deed without the tacit consent at least of so powerful a man and the whole of the hildebrandine party did not scruple to take advantage of the event peter damiani in a complimentary letter to the archbishop likens him to Yohoyada, the high priest the guardian and instructor of the young king joash a very unfortunate illustration for the gentle and pious empress was no counterpart of atalia while henry had neither love nor respect for anno by whom his education and moral training were shamefully neglected he lived as one of the analysts says unhappily because he lived as he pleased he was allowed to dissipate his time in frivolous amusements his abilities were good but they were not cultivated his passions were strong and he was not taught to control them an assembly of nobles held at Köln, probably about whitsuntide ten sixty two decided that the guardianship of the king and the chief administration of affairs should devolve on the bishop in whose diocese the king was for the time being resident anno however took good care that these bishops should be such as were friendly to himself and foremost amongst them was gunther of bamberg and siegfried of mainz on october twenty eighth ten sixty two the council was held in augsburg which was to decide between the claims of the contending popes there could be little doubt what that decision would be the recognition of alexander would be an easy price for anno to pay the hildebrandine party for their consent to a deed which made him and his confederates the virtual rulers of the kingdom of the proceedings at the council we have no detailed account perhaps the necessity of debate was thought to be superseded by the production of an imaginary dialogue composed by peter damiani between the advocates of the king and of the roman church the advocate of the church does not deny the ordinary right of the german king to confirm the election of a pope but concludes that as a matter of fact many popes have been elected without this confirmation and that the rule like all others must sometimes yield to necessity in the present case delay had been dangerous the king was too young to exercise an independent judgment the roman church was his spiritual mother 
it was for her to direct his choice during his tender years and when her own legate a cardinal of high rank and irreproachable character had been refused admission to the court while count gerard an excommunicated robber had been allowed to represent the roman nobles it was impossible for the cardinals to respect the discretion of the german court it was true that a curse was pronounced upon any who should violate the decree of the lateran council which reserved the royal rights in papal elections but god would absolve those who had broken it only out of love for him and his church for even god himself did not always fulfil his promises or execute his threats by these arguments which were worked out with no little ingenuity and some sophistry the advocate of the king at last confesses himself vanquished and the whole disputation concludes with a pious prayer that as the kingly and priestly offices were combined in the one mediator between god and man so henceforth there might be an indissoluble union between the spiritual and temporal heads of the human race on earth the king being recognized in the pontiff and the pontiff in the king the intrinsic superiority however of the sacerdotal to the royal office is carefully maintained the pope is the father the king is his dearly beloved son the father has paternal rights to assert the son has filial duties to perform the council however much it may have been convinced or predetermined in favour of alexander acted with caution the pope had been accused of simony and of intrigues with the normans as well as of irregularity in his election the council therefore resolved to send an envoy to italy to investigate these charges and if satisfied of alexander's innocence to conduct him to rome there to discharge the papal office until a general council should be held in italy the envoy was anno's nephew burkhardt bishop of halberstadt he pronounced alexander guiltless conducted him to rome january ten sixty three and returned to germany with the pallium as reward for his services the partisans of the anti-pope still held the castle of st angelo but for the present his cause was lost a complete reconciliation had been effected between the german hierarchy and the hildebrandists the right of the king to control the papal election had been practically surrendered the rights of the cardinals to make a free choice had been practically acknowledged these concessions laid the foundation of infinite future troubles but the immediate result was conducive to peace and to anno personally it was a great triumph he became the chief personage in the realm siegfried of mainz subsided into comparative insignificance adalbert of bremen was the only serious rival of his power the guardianship of the king and the administration of affairs was in fact divided between the archbishops of Köln and Bremen. Both were men of resolute will and lofty ambition. The aim of Anno was to make Köln the ecclesiastical metropolis of all Germany. The design of Adalbert was to convert his see into a kind of northern patriarchate, with an extensive jurisdiction over Scandinavian countries both prelates were sumptuous in their style of living energetic in their labours and munificent in their gifts they lavished bounties on the poor they founded or enriched monasteries they built churches they organised missions but they were not content with the exercise of spiritual powers 
partly by means of royal grants partly through bribery and intrigue they became feudal suzerains within their dioceses they obtained bishoprics for their relations and partisans and secured temporal rights for them similar to their own in other respects the two prelates were unlike each other anno a man of humble birth assumed a haughty tone toward men of rank to inferiors he was affable and condescending the high-born adalbert on the other hand was harsh and overbearing to men of low rank but his vanity made him very susceptible to flattery and he was surrounded by a crowd of parasites on whom he showered favours and gifts with a prodigal hand he was a thorough courtier with a genuine reverence for the royal majesty naturally therefore he became the favourite guardian of the young king who looked upon him as an indulgent friend while he regarded anno rather as a despotic schoolmaster neither of them however trained the boy so as to fit him for the high and responsible position to which he was heir he was never taught that most important of all lessons for any one who has to govern others how to govern himself his favourite companion as he grew up was the count werner a hot-headed young man he and archbishop adalbert managed the king no secular or ecclesiastical office could be obtained except through them and their favour could only be bought by a large expenditure of money after easter ten sixty three pope alexander held a synod at rome attended by more than a hundred bishops the decrees against simony and the marriage of the clergy were renewed and the anti-pope was anathematized as guilty of simony and violence catullus held a counter-synod at parma in which alexander was anathematized as having been irregularly elected but the position of the anti-pope was very precarious the bishops of lombardy and the archbishop of ravenna stood by him but he could not reckon on any support from germany in rome he could command a party as long as his money lasted but fierce brawls often broke out in the streets between his partisans and alexander's he only held the leonine city for a time and when he was driven out of that nothing remained to him but the castle of st angelo which was in the hands of Cencius frangipani one of the bitterest opponents of hildebrand in october peter damiani wrote to anno urging that the general council at which the claims of the rival popes were to be decided should be held as soon as possible and soon after christmas summonses were issued for the council to be held at mantua in the coming spring alexander and hildebrand were excessively displeased at this step on the part of peter and hildebrand wrote to him a bitter letter of reproof the popularity of the anti-pope was fast diminishing as his exchequer began to fail and the triumph of alexander would be impaired by the meeting of a council to discuss his claims as if they were still in dispute there was no help for it however the council was called alexander attended it with hildebrand and peter damiani while catullus sulkily retired to aqua nigra near cremona because the place of precedence was not guaranteed to him beforehand the council was opened in the cathedral of mantua on may thirty first ten sixty four after high mass alexander made an address upon the distracted condition of christendom anno then stated the charges which were made against him the irregularity of his election and his alleged intrigues with the normans 
alexander defended himself on oath the council declared itself satisfied and acknowledged him as lawful pope a te deum was sung catullus was anathematized some of his adherents raised tumult the next day in the town and burst into the assembly with drawn swords but they were quelled by the appearance of the countess beatrice with a body of armed followers as soon as the king entered his fifteenth year the ceremony of girding him with a sword was performed at worms march twenty ninth ten sixty five duke godfrey of lotharingia carried his shield and eberhard archbishop of trier bound the sword upon him the ceremony had been arranged at the earliest possible opportunity by archbishop adalbert as it implied that the youth was no longer under tutors and governors and that the office of anno then came to an end we are told that had he not been restrained by his mother he would have proved his sword upon the body of the archbishop whom he had never forgiven for the treacherous deed at kaiserswerth it was indeed a sad inheritance to which the young king succeeded the political fabric which his father had built up in germany with so much toil and care was crumbling to pieces the royal power was sapped by the encroachments of a proud and selfish feudal aristocracy the imperial crown had yet to be obtained and the imperial authority meanwhile was in abeyance in italy the name of duke godfrey commanded more respect and reverence than the king's and if the goodwill of hildebrand and alexander had been secured it was by the sacrifice of the king's claim to a voice in the election of the pope to many there seemed to be an urgent need on all grounds that the king should visit italy without delay to receive the imperial crown for the removal of anno from power had revived the hopes of the anti-pope who still had a strong party in lombardy and had never renounced his pretensions issuing decrees granting privileges and assuming all the customary pomp of popes the increasing power of the normans also and their peculiar relations to the papacy were a kind of menace to imperial authority peter damiani looked upon the visit of the king as the only hope of healing the schism in the church and wrote a letter to him passionately entreating him to come and do his duty as the protector of his spiritual mother duke godfrey also and anno shared his view and began to make preparations for the expedition it seemed on the eve of being accomplished but it was not to be adalbert was opposed to the design from jealousy of anno and godfrey hildebrand and the pope were opposed to it because their great aim was to make the papacy an independent centre of power hence the projected visit was put off from the spring to the autumn and from the autumn to a more convenient season which never came twelve years were to pass before henry crossed the alps and then he was to go not in royal state to receive the imperial crown but in penitential guise to crave release from excommunication lest the crown which he already had should be taken away from him End of section nine